Hi, and welcome to Jackie Winter Gives You the Business. I'm Jeremy Wartsman. I'm Bianca Bremen. And I'm Lara Chan Baker. Jackie Winter Gives You the Business is a weekly podcast from the Jackie Winter Group, which is a creator production and representation studio based in Melbourne and New York City. What started as a business conference for artists and fellow creatives is now being turned around to shine a light on our clients. From art buyers and creative teams to fellow producers and managers, this podcast is all about offering a glimpse into the work we do as the bridge between clients and creatives. It's an ongoing exploration of how to wrangle the creative process to achieve excellence no matter what the medium. Today, we chat with producer and project manager and product manager and all-around PM extraordinaire Nirmala Shom from the New York-based studio This Also, a digital product design studio founded by two ex-Google creative labticians. I don't know if labtician is a word. I'm just making it up there. Um, we discuss her journey from digital account management to product management and her various side projects and self-initiated works, as well as getting to some advice for fellow PMs. But before we get Nirmala on the line, Bianca, Lara, how are you both? Really well today, Jeremy. It's like thirty degrees. It is. I don't know what that is in Fahrenheit for you, Bianca. I know it's, it's fourteen degrees here, and I'm freezing, and I'm not happy about it. But how how were your weekends? Did you spend it outside? Yeah, I went to Dalesford on a romantic trip away. Ooh. I've got my shorts on. I've got my shorts and sandals on. He's gone know. full dad mode, Bianca. <laughs> I am. The paleness of my skin was blinding people as I was as I was walking in. <laughs> Um, so yeah, no, we're really excited to get stuck in. So before we do that, we should go into some of our mini links from our professional development Slack from this week. Um, a few things that were interesting. Um, this first one here, uh, ink again, the antiquated skill of calligraphy is a huge hit on social media. Um, and this is um, a piece on the age that is kind of tying into this calligraphy event called Calicon, um, that was happening in Melbourne this weekend. Um, and Oh, yeah, like I don't know. Every time I see something on the age, I get just groan inside because it's some of the worst journalism I've kind of ever seen. But also, it does kind of bring, you know, I, I think people were kind of looking for whatever the next trend was in kind of artful mindfulness, you know, after coloring books have seemed to have run their course. And I think calligraphy is kind of where it's at in a way. Definitely seeing a lot of people who have, I mean, it is really kind of fascinating to watch. Like there are people like Seb Lester, for example, I think is the most, um, known for this doing kind of calligraphic work on his oh, ipad and it's just kind of hypnotic yeah and he's up to i was having because he was immediately who i thought about when i was reading this article and he's got over a million followers like people just it's the kind of thing i love to scroll through right before i fall asleep yeah. like oh well, i was thinking back meditative. Jeremy, about that paint mixing that you were into those like instagram accounts Ooh, where it was yeah. like kind of meditative paint mixing oh that shit's good <laughs> really watching anyone who is a crass person doing things really like sign painting is, is yeah, I mean anything like that. I mean even the like the, the cooking videos on Instagram, like the time lapse ones. Like, oh, yeah. Those are all the ones that kind of come up in my feed, like pastry chefs and things like that. I, I just love think... time lapses of flowers like blooming and closing again. Oof. <laughs> so yeah, this was this was just kind of an interesting piece because I definitely think this is something that's kind of um, tipped the scale a bit. It's, it's going to have some interesting implications for um, letterers and calligraphers who may not you know be working kind of commercially now. You're you're seeing kind of a lot um, a lot of kind of crossover here. So that's um that's an interesting one which we will put up. It's not a surprising development after the sort of 
blogger type hype of last year. Yeah, blogger type. Blogger type. Um, B, this is one that you um, put on our Slack from a good friend of the podcast, Madeline Dorr. Um, can you um, sum up this article? It's um, She does kind of these experiments, like kind of these social experiments. And what was this one about? So this was on the BB. BBC and the article was, is there an upside to having no social life? And Madeline is a writer here. Um, also, she's based in Melbourne and she's kind of best known for her blog, Extraordinary Routines, where she interviews creative types on their daily habits and routines. But she's also kind of like interested in embarking on these like self experiments and documenting them. So she's done things like committing to meeting a new stranger every week for a year or kind of like dating habits, like trying new things there. And um, one of my favorite pieces of writing by Madeline and one I really connected with, which I think a lot of our listeners might enjoy too, was an essay titled Lessons on Being the Worst Freelancer, which I'll link to in the bio. But I guess she's kind of like interested in life design, but in a way that's maybe more palatable and like your Silicon Valley Tim Ferriss type personalities, which kind of great on me a little bit. But um, I was, I, I mean, I was actually in New York with Madeline when she was thinking about embarking on this experiment where she basically uh, for 30 days decided to give up a social life. And, you know, she went, she kind of like left the house and she went to cafes and did writing there and things like that. But she said no to any kind of social engagement, whether that was like catching up with a friend or what have you. And yeah, just kind of, I guess, was looking at how that maybe affected her creative output and her quality of life. And it was a really interesting experiment. And I mean, I think, I don't think I could do it, but I think that the kind of some of the findings that she You're had, a social butterfly, yeah, Bianca. I think, I mean, I would say I'm like a, I'm a extroverted introvert. Like I definitely need downtime, but I definitely need to be around people in order to kind of, I don't know, be stimulated or something. Yeah, but it was interesting. And what did she find? Yeah, spoiler alert, what did she find? From her month-long experiment, it wasn't really uh, about sort of like having one or the other or a balance of two. It was really trying, like the, I guess the healthiest way was integrating, you know, a social life into her work and work into her social life. So, yeah. I think the biggest takeaway for me about Madeline is, although that I think she talks a lot about routine, is how she's kind of interested and curious in sort of getting outside of her comfort zone and trying something new. And that's interesting to me. And I think that that's something that I'd like to do a little bit more of. Awesome. Yeah. No, I've been running the uh, No Social Life experiment for around 20 years, <laughs> working fantastically. It's going really well, well. You're probably the most productive person that I know. So I think there's something to be learned from it. Finally, our last link was from a site called Catapult. I have never heard of this site before. Who put this on Slack? Catapult's great. Catapult is like dedicated to sort of um, giving a space for really fantastic writing. Basically, the writing comes first and it's, um, yeah, it's awesome. Some really great pieces on there. But this one's um, really interesting. This is from a writer called Melissa Phoebus. And uh, she's written a piece called, Do You Want to Be Known for Your Writing or for Your Swift Email Responses? With the subheading, How Patriarchy Has Fucked Up Your Priorities. Um <laughs> And it's interesting. I mean, obviously, clearly it's got a, a, a pretty defined feminist slant and um, it's, it's a great piece of writing, but it's essentially just seven sort of tenets that she's developed um, uh, that she reminds herself of um, that are all sort of to do with uh, not feeling guilty about taking time to get back to people um, and um, sort of taking control of your time and your writing and, and realizing that um, you don't necessarily owe something to other people more than like, I mean, a good response, you know, yes, but within time and, and you know, within your capability. So um, sort of she first talks about 
cultivating this persona of, of unreliability and she talks a lot about – the whole thing is spurred by like an, another writer that she used to um, get feedback from and how he would sort of be a little bit sporadic in his responses and always give her really good responses but never apologise for the fact that it might take him a few days or whatever and, and she sort of realised that she could take some of that um, – take a leaf out of his book and start doing that sort of thing as well. So she talks about that. Um, that's such a, I mean, I think that's a real kind of big one. I think that's just like such a hard one to integrate, I think, for the kind of work that we do, again, because it's all about that kind of responsiveness. And I found that that kind of now carries across to every other area where people are kind of are writing to me, where it's like, I can't, I, I, I would love to kind of give it some more time and give it more responses, but just like I can't deal with, unread slacks like I cannot yeah. deal with emails but I've been trying inbox. to do that with emails well like unless I actually am replying unreasonably late you know then I do apologize but if it is you know within a reasonable amount of time and you can decide based on what you do what that reasonable period is I actively try not to say like oh I'm so sorry for the slow reply when it's been like four hours yeah. you know yeah. because I have a habit of doing that and I think that then it does like make that person think that Oh, yeah, four hours is too long. Well, I think this is, I and mean, you condition them. Yeah, look, I, I think it's also contextual to the kind of work that you do. It's like, so, like, I do think when talking to writers sometimes, like, if you're a writer working on books, which can take years to write, or an architect working on projects that, you know, take years to build, it's kind of, you know, that kind of pace is really kind of normal. And mm. I, but I find it just, it's just maddening. It's hard to kind of accept that totally from, you know, from where I sit. Well, another thing she talks about at the end, which I think ties in well with the, with Madeline Dawes piece is that she she sort of says like you know stop thinking of no as no get comfortable with the word no um, and how that requires a sort of shift uh, in your relationship to the word no and and I love how she phrases this she says like you're not saying no to an event where you might make an important connection you're saying yes to your work you're saying yes to the sleep that you need to make good work you're saying yes to the real relationships you already have and need to nourish and enjoy um, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. And I think that's a really interesting way to think about things. Yeah, the, it's funny you mentioned the whole saying no thing. There's a video of Jason Freed from Basecamp um, that was actually on Swiss Misses Friday Link Pack this week. I think I'll post that up as well because yeah, he talks about kind of 10 things he's learned as well. The saying no is a big one. And that's kind of, I think, yeah, I really, really kind of struggle with that on a lot yeah, of Yeah, like four of her seven points are about <laughs> saying no. It's worth a read. It's definitely worth a read. We're going to put a link to that and um, the other pieces in our show notes this week. As always, you can find them at Jack. Winter.givesyouthe.biz. Make sure you also sign up to our weekly newsletter where we put all of these links in and announce when the episode is ready to download. That is at tinyletter.com slash Jackie Winter. I think we'll leave it there. And thank you, guys. So today here on the podcast, we're so excited to start our first kind of, I guess, in hopefully a longer series of interviews with producers and project managers. And yeah, we were kind of canvassing, um, you know, through our Slack and through everyone else here, like who would be a good person to speak to. And Mel from our office um, suggested someone named Normala. And I was like, that name sounds really familiar. And I went and I looked in my inbox and lo and behold, I found an email thread with Normala Shom from 2011 when we actually worked together here in Melbourne when she was at Clemenger BBDO, one of our um, one of our most favorite clients, even though we don't play favorites, we do like them very much. Um, so yeah, Normala, since then, um, we worked together. You were working at Clems. Um, you are now a um, project manager at This Also in Brooklyn. Um, welcome to the podcast, Normala. How are you? I'm good. I'm good. Thanks for having me. <laughs> Thank you so much for, for being here. So it's really great to properly catch up and to, um, you know, and I'm 
really interested in hearing more about kind of how you got to where you are, what you're kind of doing at the moment, not only kind of professionally in your actual role, but all of the kind of amazing self-initiated projects that you've um, put out, which um, or helped put out, which we'll get into as well. Um, maybe just take us a bit from the top. So um, I'm really curious to know more about your background. Like, how did you get to where you are as a producer right now? Um, especially how did you kind of make the leap from um, from Melbourne to New York? Yeah, totally. So I um, I guess like when I graduated, like most people, I wasn't really sure what I wanted to do. Um, I kind of just started writing emails to like the heads of companies with subject lines like, I have what it takes. Give me a chance and like ridiculous <laughs> things like that. And Where did like, you graduate from? I graduated from Melbourne Uni. I did like a um, just like an arts degree there on like communications and things like that. And um, yeah, no, like, luckily like someone, you know, a couple of people responded. Um, I spoke to a couple of people and my first job was actually at Clemenger Blue Digital, which was a digital shop that Clemenger, I think it was the first digital shop they bought. Um, so that was like a, a very new kind of arm. And what were you doing there for your first job? My first job was doing reporting. So actually like looking at like digital like ad campaigns and kind of and search campaigns, display campaigns, um, email campaigns and just like doing reports, like crunching the numbers, seeing like conversions, all that kind of stuff. Um, so it was very much like a performance reporting role. And were so, you always interested in advertising or design or was it kind of just like Clemenger was the first person who responded? Who else were you writing to? I was always interested in digital first. I kind of was like, even in my degree, I kind of um, really got into like digital art and like all that kind of stuff. But I was writing to all kinds of places. I wrote to like all the top agencies just because kind of when you're Googling stuff, they're the ones that come up. I did write to kind of a few smaller studios and things like that and did have some interesting conversations actually like with some really senior people at some of those agencies. But um, so that was, it was good. It was like a really great like learning experience to kind of talk to people. And some people would like, would just, you know, they were really honest and were like, hey, we don't have a job right now. Also, your CV is like four pages long. You should make it one page long. You know, like they were just like helpful. Um, and then, yeah, luckily one of them was like, I don't have a job, but you know, this new thing is starting and, you know, maybe you could work there. It was like a super junior role. Um, so that was, uh, that was kind of my, how I got into the ad world. It wasn't like as planned as an intentional at all. It was kind of just like what, you know, the pieces fell together. You know, I'm, I'm surprised that like that more people don't kind of do that even at the moment. Like I was just kind of thinking like, I wonder if that would kind of work today, even though it's not that long ago, but like even still people rarely, you know, maybe we maybe nobody wants to work for us but we don't get that many people <laughs> kind of emailing us out of the blue and the people that do like i'll always kind of sit down with people still yeah. i don't know if like if it's a if it's a you're gonna regret thing. saying this on the podcast well we're actually hiring at the moment so you know it's, it's at the it's in the front of my mind yeah i don't know i think because i was just like straight out of uni i had zero kind of like you know i just had nothing to lose basically so i'm like i don't really care if i email people 
you know, now I would not, I don't think I would do that. <laughs> I'd be like, oh my God, if I email this person, they probably know one of my friends and I'm going to sound like a total crazy person. But but that like blind naivety when you're young and out of uni is kind of yeah, great because you totally. do things, you take risks that you would not now. Uh, exactly. Except this one time where I was trying to help someone get a job at a place, do it, taking a similar approach. I don't know if I spoke about this in the podcast before, but I, I kind of said, okay, what you should do is like you, could, you should send kind of like these fake police reports saying that like someone's trying to break in. Um, <laughs> what? To, and like, you know, but, and th- but then the whole thing was like, then like you follow, and then you followed up and you're like, hey, like I'm X Y Z. I'm trying to break into the industry. You know, oh, the oh. but it was, it, it was so effective that someone actually thought there was like, you know, like like people were breaking into. Yeah, the area. I would. Anyway, it got attention, but maybe not, not the, the right, right kind. Works. <laughs> How did you move from reporting um, to production, kind of within claims? And I guess I should mention for our international um, listeners. So, so Clemenger is kind of the local arm of the BBDO network which is a pretty, you know, worldwide established advertising network. Um, so, yeah, you, you were at kind of Blue, which was a um, which was kind of a, a d- digital specific arm there. And then had, did you kind of move into the main agency or what was the process there? So then what happened was I kind of moved into um, account management. So we were doing like performance campaigns, so which is basically like buying ad space, measuring it against like clicks, conversions and like doing ROI reports. So it was actually quite different to what Clems was doing at the time. Um, They were kind of doing more like big campaigns, things like that. So we actually split into a separate company called eServices, which the head of uh, Blue Digital kind of ran. And so I got, we kind of moved across the road to a separate company, just focusing on like performance um, campaigns. And I then kind of moved into account management from reporting and I did really like account management, but I kind of felt that it was real. I just felt really distant from the actual work that was being done. I hear that from so many friends in account management. Yeah, because you're not really, you're kind of like across everything, but you're not really involved in the like nitty gritty of actually, I mean, you, it depends. It, like, And this is the thing, it depends on where you are, because in some places account managers are really involved and are super hands-on. In some places they're not. So I, in the the place where I was, I kind of just wasn't, you know, I just felt like I was disconnected from the work. Um, you know, it was all about kind of client relationship and things like that. And uh, so I kind of wanted to change. So I left there and then went back to Clementor actually, um, because just through a, a, a connection there um, and started working as a producer. And that was like the first time I had been a producer and was like, yeah, I want to just be closer to the work, basically. You said that was your first production job. What was, like, the biggest learning curve there? I think, um, I mean, it was just, like, oh, God, like, what? My, I just remember my first job was, like, um, I had to roll out this banner campaign, which actually may have been the one we did with you guys. Uh, I think it was your pages. <laughs> But it was, like, just the scale of it. It was, like, we had to roll out, like, 100 banners. Like, and I think I just remember realizing, like, wow, there's just, like, the detail, like, the level of, um, like, the stuff. You need to check everything. You know, it's, like, there's just, like, the scale of that kind of work. Like, banners, sometimes you're, like, oh, yeah, that's easy. You know, it's easy to get those done. But when you're just dealing with, like, that many production assets and, kind of coordinating across teams and stuff like that. I think that was like a big eye-opening project for me. Um, And I also, and the other awesome thing about kind of moving from account management into um, being a producer was actually learning about all the like 
the tech behind it? What is the design process, like the specifics around it, like working really closely with designers and developers? Um, and that's what I really wanted. I wanted to kind of like work with the team in that type of way to actually like see things get done and made. Um, and, you know, we still had relationships with the client and the accounts team and things like that. But I think for me it was like getting to see like behind the scenes of how this stuff actually works, how it's put together, getting involved in the scoping, all that kind of stuff was what I was looking for. Totally. Yeah. So that, and I think it's like definitely, it's a totally different world uh, then compared to even like every couple of years, I feel like it changes. <laughs> but no, that was, that was definitely really exciting for me. And at the time too, it was like an interesting place because, you know, digital, you'd get like a campaign budget and a company like Clem's, you know, they've got TV and print and digital as well. It's like all under the same roof. And, you know, if a client gave us X amount of budget, it would kind of get divvied across the, the different apartments, the different departments. And I think back then we were always like, you know, digital was like, you know, the little kid that never got enough at the dinner table. You know, like <laughs> yeah. we, we always kind of felt like that. And I think now it's totally changed. Like they've definitely revamped um, that structure. Like obviously everyone in the industry has had to kind of rethink how these campaigns, how digital fits in and like um, across everything with film and with like print and everything. So it's it's kind of an interesting to, to go from like that to kind of see what it's like now and how much it's changed. In terms of the like learning the learning some of the technical aspects of yeah. digital on the job, did you have kind of a mentor or anyone within the agency, either kind of formally or informally at all? Um, I think you know, and not so much, definitely informal mentors. I think it's more just like having people that are generous enough to kind of just give you the time and like answer your questions and like let you kind of like sit behind them and like just be like, oh, what's that? How does that work? What do you do? And I think that's kind of, if you can find people like that, you should like totally <laughs> take, it, not take advantage of them, but like um, spend time with them because you can learn so much. If, if someone is willing to give you the time to just like, explain like oh this is how this actually works it's so like infinitely helpful to you yeah like, and i don't think you need to be like I, I i think being a junior again having that naivety where like mm -hmm. you can ask those things freely is is a great time to do that but i don't think there should be anything stopping anyone from doing that at any exactly. kind of you know level of seniority it's like i ask the, you dumb questions all day every day jeremy i know i love i <laughs> i'm always flattered to be asked questions because i like being useful um have what have you found like to be some of the things that are hardest to get used to or completely different from you know from your experience in both continents um, I think, you know, definitely it's, I mean, there's lots of similarities actually. And I think, um, on the whole, and I don't know if this is just like a region, like if it is actually a difference in the countries or if it is just the way that things are changing, I've definitely found that, um, the process here is less rigid and like formalized and structured, um, and that's and I've worked at like two places here, so <laughs> other people here might be like, "That's not true." <laughs> but um, I've personally I've found that, like, yeah, that just the process here it's not as like structured. Like I remember back at Clems, and I also like worked at George Pats for a bit too. Like we had templates for every single type of like document that we had to do and things like that. And we have templates here too, but they're nowhere near as like dense. And definitely the process here. I have a lot more control over what that process is and how That's to get so things done. so interesting because from, from my point of view being 
like, I guess, a, a vendor to some, you know, American clients. Like I find compared to Australia that I'm kind of dealing with a lot of process and, and maybe that's just, maybe that's just because I'm dealing with some bigger corporations that are kind of like stuck in bureaucracy. But that's so funny to hear that, that your experience is the complete opposite. <laughs> I, that's probably because, I mean, yeah, I, like the Damani Studios was a studio that the digital agency I worked with, they're also an independent um, digital agency. So they probably also like have way less process and structure uh, than that. And then also we're like a, I'm now at a really small studio. So I've, I guess I've been like, like getting smaller and smaller, um, which probably is also exactly why um, the process is a lot more fluid and just like, yeah, we have a lot more control over what we do and how we get things done. Speaking of, I guess, um, vendors and creative partners, do you um, do you work with like third party creatives? Like, um, like, do you have to kind of commission um, artwork or manage, um, you know, manage other vendors, manage other, um, you know, other developers, freelancers, things like that? And if so, like, how do you go about kind of finding those people and developing that network? Yeah. So, I mean, one thing that's come up recently is we've had to really look for 3D artists because that's something that's in huge demand right now. <laughs> And Why do you think that is? Uh, just with like uh, augmented reality and virtual reality, like people are now with Apple AR Kit and also Facebook's AR Studio that they just launched. People are just like clamoring to get onto this medium and like do stuff on it. So like there was a time when literally all my clients were requesting AR, like we had AR projects on um, across all our clients, and it's and and it's like it's not gonna. Basically, as this technology gets better, it's more accessible to people. Um, we already know people like love it, and like like the Snapchat hot dog is like an example of people. You know, it's just like this stupid little thing, but people are obsessed with it. And there's so many of those things. There's so many apps that come out all the time um, that do it. That I think at the moment, 3D artists are in really high demand. So if you know a 3D artist, <laughs> I was just going to say on that note, you know, are there any sort of other trends in the industry that you, um, you know, can see coming up that you're excited about or even ones that you're not excited about? Lots of camera stuff. Uh, again, like this, like it's all connected as well. But I think, yeah, like the augmented reality stuff with Apple, like Arkit has just made it so much more, um, like so many more developers and stuff can now hook into this platform and they get a lot of the stuff built in with the Apple AR kit um, that they don't have to do so much legwork to kind of get the basic setup. So that's a big thing. Um, another, and obviously virtual reality too, uh, is like that technology gets cheaper and more and more people are kind of like even like Google's like daydream stuff and things like that. It becomes more accessible. Like you're always going to have like the Oculus and the Vive, the Vive and things like that that are the high-end stuff. But there's more kind of like more affordable virtual reality stuff coming out. And the other thing, I guess, like a new technology um, is like, uh, you know, like the machine learning kind of movement, which is about like training kind of giving machines human inputs and then from that they're able to learn and pick up patterns and like generate things so we've kind of worked on different because the thing with machine learning it's like this super complex kind of piece of you know I guess it's a movement I don't know what to call it but <laughs> but yeah it's like really complicated but trying to translate that into something that people will find fun and interesting and easy to understand has been interesting has, has been a really interesting process um so we've kind of worked on a few projects there too of like trying to take this really complicated thing and like turn it into something that people can play with as like an experiment and things like that. 
So, yeah, I think those are kind of some big tech jams. And then also the live kind of, you know, just like, um, just kind of the concept of live stuff. I don't know if you guys have heard of this app called HQ. Yeah, do you know, I saw it on Twitter last night because a couple of my design friends here were playing around with it. I didn't really, what, what, I don't quite understand, I didn't actually look into it. What is it? It's basically like a game show that happens live on your iPhone at 3 p.m. and 9 p.m. every day. And it's literally like you go into this app. It's like you have a host. It's all live. There's like a chat room. They ask you 12 questions and the last people in the round win like cash. <laughs> basically. I'm so, I'm so into this. Yeah. Yes. It's, and it's kind we'll of, find it's a link and we'll yeah. put that in the show notes. Oh, my God. We're going to have scheduled <laughs> breaks here at the office. Well, we've actually been like every time at th- every day at 3 o'clock, everyone stops and plays this game. Like, no joke. <laughs> So it's it's kind of, you know, and, and that's like bringing that concept of like something that's like a really old school TV concept, right? Like a game show yeah. that's like been done for decades. But bringing that onto the phone is like an interesting idea. And it's like, oh, is this maybe how people can consume this now? You're not in front of a TV, but I've got my phone all the time that's connected to the internet. So that's been a, like, that's like a really interesting thing as well that's happening, I guess. I don't know where it's going to go, but... <laughs> Well, that's, yeah, I mean, I'm always interested, especially, uh, well, with, with, with VR and AR as well, there's a lot of crossover with gaming culture and finding people who work in the games industry, especially 3D artists, I found it really hard to kind of engage those types of people in commercial projects because they're either not available or, you know, they're full-time at a game studio. And yeah, I, I think that making that transition is, is, is tricky. Like, how are you finding people to engage with and how are you educating yourself in that way to make sure that you're keeping up there? So one thing definitely I do, is like just like networking I think one great thing about New York is that people are very networky kind of people like people you know people are very open to making connections and kind of recommending and like you know passing people's details on so that is um, really helpful but at the same time especially when you're looking for really specialized resources there is what I have found anyway is um, I don't know like someone told me that you know, 3D designers at the moment are really hard to find because a lot of the massive companies are kind of just hiring them and like keeping them hired so other people can't get to them because it's so competitive. So it is like, you know, when you do find someone, it's really important to kind of reach out to them and like make a connection. And I just like have a spreadsheet that I always, uh, as soon as like I find or hear of someone that's cool or like, okay, this person's been recommended. I'll either like just reach out to them on LinkedIn just as like a, hey, like, or, you know, hit them up on their website. And just I have a spreadsheet of just like people that I have found that are like, okay, this guy's cool, this guy's cool. So when we do have this like client that's like, oh, hey, we need to work on X, um, we can reach out to them pretty quickly and like try and find someone. But it's definitely a process of like building that up over time. Speaking of, I guess, networking and, um, you know, extracurricular activities. One thing that I noticed from kind of um, your introduction email is just how many other kind of, I guess, self-initiated projects you've worked on, um, either independently or kind of in a business. Um, can you just give us a bit of an overview of the things that you have worked on and how, you know, how you kind of managed to fit that in with your other work and, you know, what kind of effect that's had like on your network and professional life? Yeah, definitely. I mean, I think like the bit, the kind of like couple of big things I did was I worked on uh, Shimoji, which was like an emoji keyboard for women because, uh, 
This, and this was like a year ago. So this is when before Apple released all the emojis that we now have that have all the oh, female wow. characters. This was like last year. We were kind of I was on the couch with my housemate, who's also um, a, a PM, and we were just like talking about like, oh god, we should do something, and um, we were like, oh my god, we should do this app. It's like an emoji keyboard for women, like kind of like Kimoji, but you know, more <laughs> empowering for women. <laughs> yeah. Um, and then you know, and then we were like, yeah, we can do this. We're both like we're both PMs. We've like worked in this space. We know how it works. We just have to find the people. So one of our really good friends, um, we got her to design everything and that was great. Like we, you know, it was just like the three of us kind of working it. We found a developer um, through another contact. So yeah, that was like an awesome project to do. It was awesome to actually see the entire thing from idea to delivery to the press to all the, the good stuff that came out of that. Um, and we were also able to donate a bunch of cash to the Malala Fund, which was, you know, also you know, like something that you can feel really good about. Um, and so, are there any plans to port it to the new iOS at all? It's it still runs on um, the new iOS, and when Apple released their sticker packs, we actually include like ours is now a sticker pack as well because they kind of like uh, made it super easy for oh, people right. to just like yeah. So, but we kind of did it as a keyboard before, and now it's available as a keyboard and a sticker pack. Um, Speaking of sticker packs, you got this. Um, you have the the real NYC sticker pack. Real NYC. That was a really interesting project. Oh, I love these. This was the idea of my glasses and it was like so every single one of those photos is stuff that we took um and including there was one day when me and my bus went to the subway station and he had a camera and I had a bag of pretzels and I was trying to feed <laughs> every good story starts yeah I was trying to feed the subway rats with pretzels so they could come out and he could take photos of them <laughs> so it's like we it, that was definitely a really interesting project um but it was cool it was like fun and we kind of did you know we took we got to take the time off to do that so that was awesome um that's the other great thing about this studio like we did the sticker pack we also did ooh which is a camera app um which is really it's just a camera app that lets you zoom in like to an extreme level on stuff that it comes with music and stuff. So that was that was super fun as well. And that was kind of like the whole studio got to work on it. Um, and it was great for us to just kind of come up with a product idea and create it and build it and launch it. Um, so I think, you know, yeah, even from like from Shimoji, I learned a lot. Um, and seeing all that happen. And then this year I kind of launched another project, GTFO, um, which was basically started as last year. I would just send my friends like constantly like, hey, we should go to this. Hey, we should do this. Hey, we should do that. And I was like, oh, I should just like start an email thread because I'm just like harassing all these people. <laughs> and so it started as an email thread. And then, you know, just talking to friends, they were like, you should just make this a website. Um, so, yeah, one of my... amazing. I love it. Reading over it, I'm just getting a lot of FOMO at the moment. Yeah, there's, <laughs> there's, just... Just, there's so much on, right? you got to... It's like, I don't know how to... There's just too many things on, but there's so much that I want to do. And then um, one of my friends, who's a developer, was like, had some downtime at work. And he's like, hey, I can, like, build this site. And I'm like, sweet, can you build this site? It's, like, so basic. <laughs> he literally built it in, like, three days. Um, but, yeah, that was it. So I think, like... Another thing that I learned from that process was, you know, to get an idea done, it doesn't need to be this huge thing that you have to invest a lot of money and a lot of time in. 
you can like get something out and live for a fairly short investment. Um, and then if like that investment pays off, then you can invest another like, you know, whatever, 100 hours into it. If that continues to pay off, then invest another 100 hours, another X amount of money. But um, just like taking that first step is actually like the hardest. And I think if you can just get like, an idea, if you have an idea and you found someone that is willing to kind of work with you on it or is also interested in it, even just that first step is enough to kind of get it live. Um, and then the rest, it kind of just grows and it grows and it becomes a lot easier. Interesting. And how do you, what kind of effect do you think that's kind of had on, you know, either have, have you seen that had positive benefits either on the agency or with your own career, like with developing your own network? Like why do you, um, what's your kind of motivation for developing these projects? I mean, I think it's like, I think the benefit has been more just like confidence in myself that I can do it. Um, and that, yeah, like I can solve problems and I can get things done and definitely like it has you know helped you know it does look good when you kind of are able to launch something I think it's important as a PM to also demonstrate like yeah I am capable of getting something done myself as well um but yeah I think it's mainly just the confidence thing and and actually one thing I did want to to talk about is you know being able to do these projects has been like a direct relationship of me not working as much. So I kind of was probably working like crazy, like 60 hour weeks, super stressed all the time, like would wake up and check my emails, would have like nightmares about work and stuff like that. (laughs) And then I kind of moved um, to this also and this is a kind of an agency and has a really, you know, they really value um, work-life balance. That's like a big um, thing here. And I think in a lot of agencies you'll find that's, you know, like you kind of as a producer, you're like, I assume I'm going to be here super late and I'm going to have to work weekends. That's kind of an assumption you make. I know that's something that I have always kind of done since, you know, when I first started. And it's like, you know, that's why you also build like... It's inherent to advertising as well, I think. It's inherent to that industry. Like, you know, it's everywhere you go, you're going to deal with that. So moving here, that was something, you know, I went from basically working 60-hour weeks to 40-hour weeks. Um, And that just gave me so much time. It gave me, more importantly, so much more energy to actually like, okay, when I get home, I'm not like exhausted. Um, I actually have the energy to think about stuff and like, okay, I want to like, work on this thing and like I can pick up a hobby and um you know like it, it actually is it like I don't want to sound too dramatic but it actually has kind of been life-changing <laughs> working less because you it just opens your whole world up to so many more things and I think that's something that a lot of PMs kind of like don't let themselves have even if they can um I know I'm definitely you know guilty of this of like knowing that just being like I'm just going to work till 10 p.m tonight because you know that's how I do things um when really I could have just like got it done by 7 p.m but you kind of give into this lifestyle of like you know it's it's the like we're hard workers you know that it's kind of that struggle or whatever whatever you want to call it um but you don't have to give into that and you know to be a good p.m isn't a p.m that necessarily works hard um, and works long hours and things like that. And I think, yeah, like understanding that, okay, if I work smarter, work efficiently, I'm going to actually be 
A, better at my job, but just better at life. You know, just like being able to get things done and I can like show outside of work how I'm also good at this job. Mm. Look, that's some really, you know, I guess, relevant advice for um, for people who've been in the job as well. I think if if you were to kind of t- to cap things off here, um, if you had to give a piece of advice to anyone, um, you know, who's either starting out or wants to make the move kind of into PM, um, what kind of things, what would you say? What would you leave them with? I mean, I think like, you know, just generally as a as a piece of advice, you know, just like, get curious about the things that you want to that you're into like if you're really into doing film like you know just get into it like just go really deep um try you know just like understand the medium i think i think that's kind of a big thing that will get you through it like when you're sometimes working a shitty job or like you're working long hours if you love the medium and you're really into what you're doing that'll get you through no matter what and it will be worth it so I think like find the medium that you love and like get into that. And I think also the other big thing that I um, have learned is definitely like I think PMs in general have this thing of like taking on a lot of responsibility. Like we have this like Atlas complex of like, oh my God, if the if this thing doesn't happen, it's my fault and blah, blah, blah. I think understanding that actually you're not responsible for everything at all. Like the designer is responsible for making that design the developer is responsible for doing this you know there's like all these different roles and you are responsible for certain things but the you know you are not the sole person that is responsible for that so just like trust your team um and like know that they're going to do a good job and they're going to get it done um and not kind of take on the burden of everything because when you kind of break it down it's like okay well yeah that stuff didn't quite work out but it was from all these different things not because I did this one thing that, you know, like it kind of in your head, it kind of like escalates and it gets a bit crazy. So I think that's another thing, like just trust the team and like don't take on more responsibility than you need to. That's very sage advice. (laughs) (laughs) Words to live by. Normala, I feel we could really talk for hours and hours upon how to actually kind of execute on that. And I'm sure there's so much more um, that we'd love to get into, but we're out of time for today. But um, if people want to learn more about you or more about this also, where can they find you, them, et cetera, on the internet? Um, well, they can find this also at thisalso.com. Uh, and me, actually, I don't really know. I don't, I mean, I don't have... I'm on LinkedIn. I'm on LinkedIn. Yes, you can find me, find me on LinkedIn. Um, we'll also put links to GTFO and all of your other kind of projects there as well. Um, is there anything else you'd like to plug before we wrap? No, that's it. I mean, and just like I want to say, like I think it's really awesome that you guys are doing this podcast. I feel like um, another awesome thing is having a space like as a PM to talk about this stuff because you sometimes you don't really get to talk about this stuff. Um, you're talking a lot about the work and all that kind of thing and. Um, so I think it's really great that you have created a space to kind of let people just think about it and like talk about it. So I hope, yeah, you guys keep doing this. Thanks, Namala. We didn't even ask you to <laughs> say no, that. No, <laughs> <laughs> uh, thank you again so much. And yeah, we look forward to sharing this conversation and many more in the months and years to come, hopefully. So yes, thank you again, Namala, and we'll talk soon. Okay, awesome. Thanks, guys.
ending as we like to every week, going to the most Melbourne and most New York thing we've seen. Laura, you said you have a shit Melbourne thing. <laughs> let's let's Take start it with away. lowering our expectations. Didn't have to tell them it was shit. <laughs> they might have liked it. What do you, you got? Set me up for failure. No, I just I just think it's funny. Like um, as you know, I was in New York um recently, and it was like pretty hot, and it was pretty. The sun was like blaring, but um, no one ever seemed to be sort of burnt or anything. And now here in Melbourne, it's been like. 30 degrees for a day. It was like 24 on the weekend and I have seen so much sunburn and that just feels like such a distinctly Melbourne thing because of our wonderful hole in the ozone layer. Yeah, everyone is like tomato coloured and I'm loving, I'm really just thankful for my Mexican heritage currently because I'm just going a nice deep brown. This is very true. Uh, B in New York, what do you have? Well, I kind of got new out of I got out of Manhattan and Brooklyn and I drove upstate with a few friends over the weekend to Storm King, which is a beautiful sculpture park um, upstate a little bit, about an hour and a half out of New York. And I kind of think like it's a very American thing that only in America there's enough kind of philanthropy. How do you say that word? Philanthropy to fund a 500 acre sculpture park. So that was kind of like. It is massive. It's huge. Yeah, for anyone who has seen kind of uh, Master of None, the second yeah. season, they have a they have a visit up there. It's <laughs> really filmed quite beautifully. It was good, but on the way home, we were looking for a gas station to stop off at, and we drove up towards what we thought petrol was. station. Yeah, petrol yeah. station. Yeah. Come on, like who are you? Station. Something like we just wanted like some I don't know, Servo, like some. Uh, some water and a and a bathroom, but um, we drove up towards what we thought was a toll um a toll booth, but the yeah the guy started asking us questions. He's like, oh, can I have your IDs? And then he's like, oh, uh, are you all are you all like American citizens? And we're like, what what is this guy talking about? Because we just had like no idea. But it turns out it turns out we were just trying to like roll up into a military base. <laughs> 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 Way to bury the lead. That was pretty funny. Um, excellent. My Melbourne thing isn't, I mean, it's not specifically Melbourne. Um, Jeremy, that's literally <laughs> the brief, like the only okay, it, prerequisite. Well, you didn't let me finish. Yeah. Okay. I'm going to let you finish. <laughs> <laughs> okay, well, it's, it's a... T- <laughs> Go. It's a it's a TV show filmed in Melbourne, so it is, and it does have a lot of Melbourne references. But yeah, it's it's pretty much my favorite thing at the moment. We talk a lot about appointment television, you know, like which is TV that you had to watch at a certain time, like HBO and stuff. But this is my appointment TV every Wednesday night on um, ABC iView. Um, Get Kraken, the new show what? by the two Kates, um, Kate McCartney. Oh and Kate McClendon. yes. So I this is kind them. of their take up of um, of morning kind of TV. Um, show it's it's basically like a fictional morning show that takes place at 3 a.m. in Melbourne. It is just so so well done. It is so funny. I mean, I just find it's like I, I think it's just because I'm so old and so jaded. It's so hard to find things that are really really funny. Um, and this is You've just seen it all, <laughs> Well, this is just really really funny. It's just well, the so two well Kates done. Are so clever. This I loved the original catering show. Oh, and there's I mean, and and now I think you know that they're, they've been filming extras and behind the scenes stuff, and it's all kind of free to watch on iView. I don't know if you can watch it over CSB. I'd be do you get iView? No, it's or um, it's Melbourne it's only. Blocked. No, someone was trying to ask where to watch the the Bachelorette with Sophie Monk. <laughs> yeah, that's what I was trying to watch when I was in New York, and I was gutted. Um, by the time I got home, it was too far through to catch up. You know. On that note, I think we'll wrap up. Thank you, Bianca. Thank you. Thank you, Laura. Thank you. This 
has been Jackie Winter Gives You the Business. Jackie Winter Gives You the Business is a weekly podcast about creative project management and production and just making things happen in general. Our producer is Areej Norm. You can find the Jackie Winter Group on Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, Behance. Are there any other platforms we're on? Can we need to tell people about Pinterest? Oh, we're going to be on HQ now. And yes, we're definitely going to be on HQ at Jackie Winter. That's Jackie with a Y. And then Winter like the season. You can email us with any recommendations, feedback, questions, or comments at podcast at jackiewinter.com. As well, if you have anyone that you think would be good to interview, that is a great product manager, project manager, account manager, anyone, we'd really love to hear from you. So yeah, don't be shy. Drop us an email, dob your friend in, and we will get to them. Archives of all of our shows and show notes can be found at jackiewinter.givesyouthe.biz. Archives of all of our shows and show notes can be found at jackiewinter.givesyouthe.biz. And you can sign up to our weekly podcast-specific newsletter at tinyletter.com slash jackiewinter to get all the links that we talk about in the show and notifications when the new episode is ready to download. Our theme music is by Melbourne-based musician Jackie Winter. You can check out his stuff on soundcloud.com slash jackiewinter. If you love what you hear, you can really help us out by subscribing on iTunes, rating us, and commenting too. Details on our website again, jackiewinter.givesyouthe.biz. Thanks for listening. Catch you next week. Bye-bye.